Hi, this is Brett Hammond. Welcome to my podcast where I'm sharing some of the messages I've preached and managed to record over the past 10 years of my ministry. Thank you for taking time to listen and share these messages. Now, October is just about over, and there's still so much candy to be eaten. And I have one more message to bring to you from my Stranger Things from the Bible series I first presented in October of 2016. This message, though, isn't just appropriate for the month of Halloween. Uh, This would be a good message to preach for Christmas. In fact, uh, to be honest, I have preached this one for Christmas more than once. I would guess that many of my fellow graduates from Lincoln Christian University have also preached sermons on this passage. This message was inspired by Dr. Robert Lowry, a scholar on the book of Revelation and someone whose passion for the Word of God impacted all of us students. You'll hear me reference Dr. Lowry towards the end of the message. You might even be inspired by Bob to decorate Christmas a little differently this year. So let's get into it. Here's the final message from my series, Stranger Things from the Bible. It's from Revelation chapter 12, entitled, The Lady and the Dragon. The Netflix TV series, Stranger Things, the hero of that story is a young girl who's known as Eleven. That's her designation. Her friends call her L for short. And Eleven has some very extraordinary abilities in that story. And she teaches her young friends that there is another world that is parallel to ours. It's much like ours with the same structures and some of the same properties, but it is a dark world. It's a scary world. It's inhabited by a monster who has somehow managed to break into our world. And in the series, Stranger Things, Eleven calls this world the Upside Down. What amazed me as I watched that series was that's really not that much different than what the Bible tells us. There is a spiritual reality, the Bible says. There is an upside down world that you and I cannot see, but it is real. And there are strange creatures in that upside world, upside down world. There, there, is, there are angels, there are demons, there are monsters, and there's even a dragon in that world. And the things that happen there have lasting consequences to the lives that we live here. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle with the inhabitants of the upside down. And that's very much been the image that we, that, that very, is very much the image that we need to keep in mind as we unpack our final stranger thing from the Bible today. Unlike the other stories we've looked at, this stranger thing happens in another realm. Not in our world, but another world. Uh, the heavenly places, the upside down. And unlike the other stories we've looked at, the, the four stories we've looked at up until now, they have all been stories of failure. The failure of King Saul to obey God. The failure of the people of Bethel to welcome God's prophet. The failure of the seven sons of Sceva we saw last week. And this next story, though, this next story is not a story of failure. It's a story of victory. It's the story of our victory. 
We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 17, the whole chapter. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it's page 1034. We encourage you to follow along. It's just been about a year ago, right out a year ago, uh, that we lost our friend Peggy Decker. And we miss Peggy. We're always going to miss Peggy. Peggy gave me a lot of, of wonderful gifts and one of the gifts that she gave me is a needlepoint. I almost brought it with me uh, to show you, but it's really big. It's in my office. Uh, it's a big needlepoint, and it's got the, the fruit of the Spirit on it. Peggy, and I, I, I give full credit to Peggy and Iva Spies for helping me memorize the fruit of the Spirit. I never would have done it without Peggy's needlepoint and Iva sitting there week after week mouthing the words and mouthing the fruit of the Spirit to me over and over again because I just never could keep those in my head. But it's this beautiful needlepoint of the fruit of the Spirit. And it is beautiful. But what fascinates me about needlepoint, I don't know if you're like this, what fascinates me about needlepoint is not the picture on the front. Have you ever turned them around and looked at the backside? You ever look at all those strings? They're, they're just hanging there and you look at those strings on the other side and you think, this is a mess. This is weird. I can't tell what this is. It's all these different colored strings and it makes no sense at all. And, and it's the upside down of the needlepoint. So on the front, you've got that beautiful picture. You've got that beautiful pattern. You've got that amazing detail. But at the backside is a mess of strings and threads and you can't really tell what the picture is. Well, that's what this story today is. You see, the first thing that we have to grasp is that there is a spiritual battle going on that we cannot see. It's the other side of our world. We're looking in the book of Revelation today. That's always a little scary when you're looking at Revelation. There's no other book of the Bible that's more misunderstood, that's more misused, that is more abused and ignored than the book of Revelation. And all of those are all of those are wrong responses, you know, to, to misuse it and, and to ignore it. The only book of the Bible that promises a blessing for those who hear the words and obey them is the book of Revelation. And so when we come to it, we, we ought to kind of be like Jacob. Remember Jacob back in Genesis? He wrestles with God all night long. And as day's breaking, he won't let go of God. He says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And that's what we ought to do with Revelation. We ought to say, we're not going to let go of you until you bless us. And so we read chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant. And she was crying out in the pains of birth and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
So who is this woman? Well, she's, she's pregnant. <laughs> we see that in the story. She is clothed with the sun. She is wearing a crown. But if we're paying attention to all the details here, we first of all have to notice this is a sign. <laughs> and where is it a sign? It is a sign in heaven. And so if we're looking for an earthly corresponding picture, we may have a hard time finding it. This is a, this is a sign in heaven. So are we going to find an earthly identity for this woman? Well, maybe. Maybe we will. It's a woman. So could this woman be Eve? Could she be Eve? Eve, the mother of all living. Eve, the one to whom was promised that through your offspring, your offspring would smash the head of the serpent. Your offspring would, would provide victory. And we could look at that and say, well, yeah, that's, that's a picture of Eve right there in that story. We say, yeah, that's who she is. Could she be Israel? She's, she's wearing a crown on her head. And she has 12 stars, 12 tribes in Israel. So could she be Israel? Israel, the, the, the nation through whom the Messiah was promised, and this is obviously the Messiah she's giving birth to. Is it Israel? Well, yes, of course it's Israel. Could it be Mary? Yeah, Mary, she's a pregnant woman. She's about to give birth to a son. It's very obvious the son is Jesus. So is it Mary? Well, obviously the answer is that it's, it's Mary. Now, wait a minute. Could she be the church? Could she be a, a representation of the church, which brings Christ into the world and, and shares his message and shares the gospel? Yes, obviously, this is the church. Well, if she's the church, could she be you and me? Could she be us when Christ is born within us? Is there something, for, something of us in this? Well, that, that's the answer. That's obviously the answer. Here's the point. It's a sign. What do signs do? Signs point to something. Signs show you a reality. They, they point to something. What's this sign pointing to? This sign is, point, is pointing to a, a spiritual battle that you and I cannot see. This woman is about to give birth to a king, to a ruler, to a conqueror. And then there's a dragon. And the dragon is red. The dragon has seven heads. He has ten horns. He has seven crowns. And he is waiting to devour the baby that the woman is about to give birth to. What a wonderful image that is, right? We look into the details. There's a lot here. There's the promise of new life. There is the promise of victory. But there is also danger. Horrifying and huge danger in the form of this dragon. If you remember back in July and August, we spent seven weeks looking at the seven churches from the book of Revelation. Those seven churches were the original recipients of this book. And so the question that we have to ask, what we cannot avoid when we approach the book of Revelation, is what did this mean to those seven churches? Because you and I are kind of looking over their shoulders reading over their shoulders and saying, well, what, what did it mean to them? And any, any meaning that we thrust on it from ourselves, any symbols that we put on it from ourselves, we can't do that. We have to first ask, what did it mean to them? If it meant nothing to them, then John would not have written it. Jesus would not have given it. So what did this mean to those suffering, persecuted, weary believers? These six verses provide good news. The good news is heaven is aware 
that you have an enemy. Heaven is aware that you have a big, ugly, and vicious, and hungry enemy who is big, bad, and powerful. But the promise is here. God will preserve you. He will defeat your enemy. Reading over their shoulder, you and I need to hear that also. We need to hear that just as much as those first seven churches because there's days when we feel defeated. There's days when we feel deflated. There's days when we feel denied. There's days when we feel depressed. Life hits us big and hard and we get knocked down and it's easy to think, oh, let's just give up. We've, we've already lost. We've lost this war. We've lost this battle because we can't see the spiritual reality that's around us. But you read this and you know, and the woman fled into the wilderness there in verse six, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. Things are going to be okay. There's a spiritual reality that we can't see. We also need to understand that through that spiritual reality, we can have confidence. We can have confidence that Christ has already won the victory. There's one thing you have to watch out for when you're reading Revelation. And that's, it's a big word. I'm going to teach you a big word today. One thing you've got to watch out for in Revelation is something called recapitulation. That's a big word. What does recapitulation mean? Recapitulation is telling the same story, but from a different point of view. Your kids do it to you, right? They come home, you come home and you see the mess. They have a different story. They have a different perspective. It wasn't my fault. It just happened. The pie fell off the counter somehow. I had nothing to do with it. We tell recapitulation tells the story from another perspective, from a different side. So what we've just seen in verses 1 through... Well, think about this. Do you, remember the, you know the story of the three little pigs? First one built his house out of straw. The second one out of sticks. And the third one out of what? Bricks. Great. See? You guys are there. That's the three little pigs. But have you ever read the three little pigs story from the perspective of the big bad wolf? Have you read that one? It's a whole different story. It's all just this big misunderstanding. He he didn't mean to to knock their houses down. He had the sneezes and that's, you know, it just... It was just a big misunderstanding. Well, that's what we have. We have a recapitulation of the story here in verses 7 through 12. It's the same story. It's the same dragon. It's the same danger. But we've got a different perspective. Rather than the perspective of this pregnant woman, we have the perspective of a warrior. We have a warrior's perspective on the story. And the result is it's not just about God preserving. It's about victory. I want to start out just with verses 7 through 9 to start with. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Chances are, growing up, you heard the story that Satan was once an angel. That Satan was once an angel and he had a place in heaven and, and he was there with the other angels. But at some point in history, long, long ago, Satan sinned and he rebelled against God and he was cast down into hell. 
And just as God rules in heaven, Satan now rules in hell. And you've probably even heard that Satan said to God, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Have you ever heard that? Said, No? Me? Just me? Okay. That's not in the Bible. But the average person you talk to outside the church, that's what they've seen. The average person you talk to who hasn't read the Bible, that's what they've heard. Because someone in school, maybe high school or college, made them read Paradise Lost by John Milton. And that's what John Milton says in Paradise Lost. And that image of Satan ruling in hell is the image that rules in our nation and in our world. And believe it or not, a lot of Christians believe that because they've just always assumed what they, what they always heard was true. That's not at all what the Bible says here, though. Satan is not cast down into hell. Uh, and by the way, Satan will never rule in hell. Satan will be punished in hell. Uh, but he does not rule in hell, and he doesn't get cast down to hell. Where does he get cast down to? He gets cast down to the earth. And you notice what he does? That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. What does he do? He deceives. He deceives you. He deceives you into thinking that you're nothing. He deceives you into thinking that you're a loser, that you are worthless. He deceives you into thinking that there is no way that God loves you and don't even begin to think that God can forgive you because you have messed up way too much. He deceives you. He deceives you. He deceives you into thinking, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I give a lot of money to church. I put my time in on Sunday mornings. I'm not as bad as some other people. I, I'm doing pretty well. I, I treat people well enough, and, and I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. He, he deceives you into thinking that you're doing good enough, and I don't need to suffer. I don't need to sacrifice. I don't need to treat anybody any better. He deceives us, and He is here. He is cast down to earth. Are any of us safe? Now, I, I stopped reading in verse 9 because verse 10 through 12 Verses 10 through 12 is a song, and it's a victory song. It's a song of victory. I know your Bible says that I heard a loud voice saying, but what you need to hear is a loud voice singing. This is a very loud song. It is a song that is being screamed. It is a song of victory. You can't mistake it. Verses 10 through 12, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, screaming, singing, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You cannot mistake this for a song of victory. Now the salvation has come. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they have held to the Lamb. It's a great song. It's a song of victory. And then, and then there's a but. It's an awful thing to have a butt in the middle of your song of victory, you know? So it's, it's a horrible butt, too. You don't, you don't want this in your song of victory. 
He says, but... Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. That's our problem. That's the tension that you and I live in every day. You see, the war is already won, but the battle, the battle continues. This is where this unseen spiritual reality hits you and me every day because you and I have taken sides. We took sides in this spiritual war against a vicious enemy who wants to destroy us. And it's, it's easy for us to lose sight of that. And that's exactly why this was written. Remember those seven churches we looked at this summer? They were suffering. They were persecuted. Some of them had even been killed already because of their faith. Things were about to get worse. And they needed encouragement to hold on, just like you and I need encouragement to hold on. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had, been given, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two, the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she, has been, where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water out like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon poured out from his mouth. Then, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the, stand, on the sand of the sea." What do you think those seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, Philadelphia, what do you think those seven churches thought when they read those words in verse 17? Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the, commands of God, the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. They must have thought, that's us. That's us. That, that explains why we're having so much trouble. Satan can't attack Jesus. That's his goal, but he can't attack Jesus because where is Jesus? Well, verse 5 says he's been caught up into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. Here on earth, what is Satan's only hope of hurting Jesus, of wrecking havoc, of causing pain. His only hope is to attack the church, to attack Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, Paul wrote, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me tell you, it is so easy for us to forget this. It's so easy for us to forget what he says in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. There are a lot of people who get caught up 
in some very earthly, some very worldly battles. Do I need to mention that in a political season? (laughs) That we get caught up in some very earthly battles? And over the last year or so, I hear Christians on both sides, Christians on both sides, say some very unchristian things. Making statements that Christ would never make. Not sounding a thing like Jesus. Verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, we, we like to argue. We like to argue about politics. And we think that those other guys, they've got some pretty lofty opinions, right? And we'd like to destroy their lofty opinions and prove that they're wrong. But whose thoughts can you take captive? Can you take a Republican's thoughts captive? Can you take a Democrat's thoughts captive? Can you take your spouse's thoughts captive? No. There's only one person whose thoughts you can take captive, and that's that's your own thoughts. That's, That's the battle that's in you. The only thoughts you can take captive are your own. We're... We're down for the next, what, about two weeks to go now? Don't sacrifice the image of Christ in you for some political position. Don't sacrifice the image of Christ in you for some political point of view. Don't lose your peace. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your love of others over an election. All those stranger things from the Bible that we've looked at, they all had one thing in common. Every one of them was a story of someone who took their eyes off of God and they lost. They took their eyes off the victory and they lost. Did you notice that? King Saul disobeys God. He doesn't destroy the enemy the way he's supposed to and he takes his eyes off of God. He becomes disobedient. He ends up going to a witch, which he knows is wrong. He ends up calling up a spirit, which he knows is wrong. The people of Israel, instead of welcoming Elisha, they say, let's, let's go back and look for Elijah. He might be on a mountain somewhere. People of Bethel refuse to welcome him and say, get lost, baldy. <sighs> Sorry, Fred. Sons of Sceva don't even know who Jesus is, and they're trying to defeat spiritual forces. I, you know, we cast you out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Well, Jesus I know, and... I recognize Paul, but who are you? Every one of those stories was someone who looked to themselves. Nebuchadnezzar looked to his own glory instead of the glory of God, and he was made to live like a cow out in the wilderness. They wanted their own win. They wanted who they were to be, to be on top. They, they looked to their own glory, and they failed to give glory to God. And then we come to this story today, And it's the story of a pregnant woman and a dragon. And what does it all come down to? It comes down to verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The victory is already won. Don't don't ever forget that. The victory is is already won. Don't sacrifice that victory that you have in Jesus 
to win an argument for a temporary win here on earth. Do you know Christmas is less than two months away? You guys aren't worried about Christmas right now, are you? You're thinking about other things. It's less than two months away. Christmas. I mean, they're already putting Groundhog Day displays up in Walmart, I think. You know, they're just moving on to the next season. Christmas is coming. We're going to decorate in a couple of months, about a month or so. We'll be decorating in here. We'll have our little nativity set here. We have a little nativity scene sitting here behind the communion table, which I think is a perfect place for it. One of my professors in college was a man named Bob Lowry, and Bob, Bob was an amazing man when it came to the book of Revelation. He knew the book of Revelation in ways that I've never heard it explained before. He had such a very simple and clear understanding of Revelation. He wrote about Revelation a lot, and he taught, he went to churches, church from church to church teaching about Revelation. The, the kingdom of God has never seen a man with that kind of knowledge. I, I, don't think, I don't think we'll ever be able to replace him. He passed away from cancer a couple years ago. But Bob and Marilyn in their house, they had, for Christmas, they had the little nativity set, right? Like everybody else has. You know, you got your little baby Jesus, you know, in the middle, and you got Mary, and you got Joseph, and you got the wise men over here, you got the shepherd. Well, you really should have the wise men way over on the other side of the house because they don't show up for about two and a half years. Then you got the shepherds, and you got the cow, and you got the camel, and you got the sheep. Bob came home one day with a little toy dragon, a little red dragon, and he set that in the nativity set because he had read Revelation chapter 12 and he knew that a red dragon belonged in that story. Marilyn came home. She took it out, put it somewhere else. Bob came back. He found the dragon. He put it back in there. Marilyn came back. She took it back out. This went on and on every year. Bob had read Revelation chapter 12, and he knew that dragon belonged in the story. Marilyn had read Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Now the victory has come, and she knew that dragon did not belong in the story. They were both right. There will be days in your life when you really see that dragon. There will be days when that dragon, even though he's in the upside down, you, You'll know He's there. And you'll know that He is the one who is causing havoc and causing pain because He can't get to Jesus, but He can get to you. And He will mess you up. And you will know that He's there. You'll feel the attacks. You'll feel the stress. You'll feel that pull to lay your faith aside, to lay aside the image of Christ in you and take the easy win here and now. And in those moments when you feel defeated, when you want to give up, don't forget the dragon is already defeated. Jesus is at the Father's right hand. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. In those moments when you feel defeated, when you want to give up, don't forget the dragon's already defeated. Jesus is at the Father's right hand and you already have the victory. Let's stand together and pray. Father, in those moments of difficulty, in those times when we feel the pull to abandon our faith, let us never forget the war is already won. The dragon is defeated. Our, our hope is secure. 
And Father, in those far more common moments when we are tempted to put aside the image of Christ in us, when our thoughts and our attitudes betray us, remind us that the battle continues. Remind us that while our enemy cannot touch Your Son, he will do everything He can to destroy the image of Christ within us, in our hearts, in our minds, in the way we love and treat and speak to other people, in the attitudes... Give us the wisdom to know those attacks and give us the strength to conquer. And we pledge ourselves to You again to never sacrifice the image of Your Son for something false, something temporary. We will keep Your commandments and we will hold to the testimony of Jesus. To Your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there you have it, the Lady and the Dragon. I have so appreciated getting to share these messages with you again. Thank you for your time and attention. I have to confess, I'm a little curious. Uh, this podcast started out as an opportunity for me to share my weekly messages. And since I won't be preaching every week in my new role, what do I do with this podcast? Do I continue sharing previously preached sermons, or do I limit my posting only to new messages whenever those happen? Or do I switch gears and do something completely different? I would love your input on this question. If you have found what I offer here to be a valuable part of your week, how would you like to see it continue? Please hit me up on social media, leave a comment, or email me. I would love to know your thoughts. In the meantime, I'll be back next week with another sermon that seemed to connect well. I'm eager to share that one with you too. Hey, be kind to one another. God bless and have a great week.